Uh, so we, we want to talk about the last little piece of leaving. And so we've talked about leaving behind the things that have cluttered up our lives, made our lives a little bit filthy, things that just were too much for us and things that came into our lives that didn't belong there because God did not want them. And, and then I wanted to talk last week, and so I'm going to talk just for a few moments, about leaving things behind that are really comfortable. And generally, I look at that as being the status quo. We're way too comfortable with things just going on the way they are. Um, and for some of us, that means we've gotten into routines and patterns of life that feel good, but really aren't healthy and wholesome and fruitful. And so upsetting the status quo feels threatening. And leaving those kinds of things are the kinds of things where we go, I, I don't think I can do that. You're asking me to, to, to take on a challenge that uh, isn't welcoming and inspiring. It's scary. And then this morning we're going to shift on into how then we actually launch but to, when we talk about status quo, I came across this quote, and it got me to thinking a lot. We oftentimes are encumbered with a curse of just doing common things. I don't want to say ordinary, because I think ordinary can actually be quite holy. But common, what everybody else is doing, what it just seems like is normal to get along with, uh, go along, get along kind of things. And the curse, uh, Max Lucado has this book called The Curse of the Common Life. And in that book, he makes this statement, you cannot be anything you want to be. So let me just stop there for a moment, because we tell this lie to all of our kids. You can do anything you want. We've, I, I mean, okay, I was really harsh, wasn't I? But we tell that lie to all of our kids. You can do anything. You can be anything you want to be. But the truth of the matter was, when I was six months old, a year old, if someone had said, you know, you could be an astrophysicist, they were wrong. If, if they had said, you know, you can be an Olympic athlete, wasn't going to happen. So if they just said, you can be anything you want, but I, there's things I wanted to be that were never going to happen. Young people here, we want you to strive far beyond what you believe about yourself, but don't believe the lie you can be anything you want to be. So that feels like really, really bad news, but Max Lucado follows that up with this. You, you cannot be anything you want to be, but you can be everything God wants you to be. That's right. You can be everything God wants you to be. And here's the difference. Everything God wants us to be is far better than anything we want to be. And so if I had aspired to be an Olympic athlete or an NFL football player when I was a kid, God had far better plans and had equipped me in far better ways than my dreams. And oftentimes when our dreams get squashed, and reality sets in, and I don't have the physique, I don't have the athletic ability, I don't have the intelligence and the ability to process higher math in my head, that's when God gets to step in and say, I've got something better for you than that. You cannot be anything you want, but you can be everything God wants. And so when we talk about leaving the status quo and leaving behind the ordinary, normal, common... <coughs> 
here I go. Excuse me. The common uh, life that the world is tempted to accept and live as though that's what God wants. That is not what God wants. He wants extraordinary from us. And extraordinary with God is only possible when we're willing to live in it with a certain amount of discomfort. It's only possible when we're willing to put up with going beyond what's easy. And so leaving behind some of the, I'm just going to do this and do that much because anything beyond that, I just don't feel like it, doesn't really belong in the vocabulary or the vernacular of a believer of Jesus Christ. That was my nutshell from last week. I want to bring you now into a story in the Old Testament that many of you are familiar with. You've probably seen movies about this. It's a great and powerful story. It's the story of Joseph. Uh, some of you remember Joseph was this guy who had been born and had been raised with this huge mantle of possibility. He was his father's favorite son. And he had lots of other brothers. And so this made for problems. But not only was he his father's favorite son, the Lord himself spoke to Joseph and said, I have huge things for you to do. Now, what I want you to be is big. And Joseph took that and in a very indiscreet way, shared that with his brothers and said, you know, eventually you're all going to bow down to me. The day will come, and he's saying this to his older brothers, which... Those of you that have siblings, you understand there's a little bit of a dynamic there. In, in the Middle East at the time, that was a huge no-no. And Joseph goes, you know, you're all going to end up serving me. You're going to come and bow down to me someday. And they were not having it. And so they plotted against him. And you remember Joseph's coat of many colors. He had that mantle. His father gave him the coat that showed that he was the favorite son. He was the one who was going to go far. He was the golden child. And he comes one day to visit his brothers who are out herding sheep. And they see him coming and they start planning. And they go, we're going to deal with this. And they grab him and they confine him. And they wait till a slave trader comes by. And they sell their brother into slavery and were rid of him. And in all of this ugliness... All of these really bad things, really bad sibling rivalry, really bad parenting, really bad human trafficking. God is at work. And Joseph ends up in Egypt, and that's, I mean, and the story is just this this chapter after chapter of God preparing and using this guy that he wanted to use. And so Joseph goes to Egypt and, you know, he gets falsely accused of rape. That was fun. Right? Not so much. He ends up in prison. He's in prison and he ends up with the best of cellmates, the guys that have the ear of the king. And when he tells them what their dreams are about, he goes, hey, on your way out, ask the parole board to give me another little bit of consideration. And they forget. Don't mention Joseph. Of course, one of them dies. So that's, you can't blame him. 
But eventually then Joseph does. He gets out and again, he gets the ear of the king and he brings wisdom to his council and the people of Egypt avoid famine and Joseph climbs this ladder of influence in Egypt and now he has prepared the country for famine and lo and behold, his brothers show up one day and they're starving. And we have exactly... We have happening the exact thing that, that Joseph had seen. His brothers come in and bow down to him. They don't even know who he is. I would even go beyond that and say they probably don't care at this point. We're hungry. We're dying. And you have food. And Joseph knows exactly who they are. And so he goes through this kind of a ruse. He puts together this kind of a conspiracy and and he, he doesn't reveal himself yet. And he tells them, oh, you know, um, I'm going to take care of you. But he plants stuff in their bags so they can be accused of theft. And he puts them through some uncomfortable stuff. And, and then when he comes to the point where I, I want them to know this is me, uh, here's what I want you to listen for. This is a person who has changed. This is a person who is transformed. This is not the guy with the fancy coat that they threw into a hole in the ground and sold to a human trafficker. This is not the guy who got stuck in prison for a crime he didn't commit. This is not the guy who lived with this notion that I am better than all my brothers. This is a different guy he has changed, and he has changed dramatically. So we pick it up, and, and um, I, forgive me, I've, I've started in 43 in your bulletin, so if you're following along with that, we're going to look at Genesis 45, because this is the narrative I really want to preach from. Joseph could stand it no longer. So he'd been, he'd been interacting with his brothers. They don't know who he is. They're scared to death. We're in trouble. But he could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, All out! All of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly, the Egyptians could hear him and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin. And Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. I would suggest that the way I like to define this moment between Joseph and his brothers is this is a threshold moment. What happens next changes everything. What we do right now is going to define the future for Joseph, for his brothers, for their families, for the nation of Israel, for the history of the world. 
It's this watershed moment, and they've got their toes on this threshold, this doorstep. And what is it going to be like when we go through that? And so I just want to suggest to you that the process of transformation is something that God does to bring us to these moments in life where we know that moving forward with him is going to change everything. It's going to redefine everything. And there are these moments in our lives. There's these moments when, so young people, there's that moment when you you graduate from high school and you go off to college and everything changes. The dynamic between you and your parents changes. And you're no longer just a kid under their roof. Part of their household. You are becoming and have become an adult who will make their own decisions and make their own way through life. There's those threshold moments when um, in the middle of the night you're awakened with the pains of contractions and you race to the hospital and this baby is coming and then the doctor says, congratulations, your parents, and everything from there on is different. Your sleep patterns, your budget, your time, Everything changes. That's that threshold moment where your life just got redefined. There's those moments where, uh, for some of us, we're in these moments where all of a sudden we realize that mom or dad cannot do what they used to be able to do. And now we step up and become caregivers. And where we used to be dependent following, now we're leading. Where we were cared for, we are now caring for, and everything changes. And then, of course, there's those moments, those unexpected moments that we just cannot prepare for, where that loved one that was there with us and helped to define what our lives look like is gone. And they've passed away and they've moved on, and how in the world am I going to navigate life without them there? But we've crossed that threshold. And here's the thing. You realize that a lot of these moments are outside of our control. We don't necessarily have a lot to do with initiating them and making them happen. We can get ready for them. We can prepare for them. But we don't really know when and how that is going to take place. I mean... A couple can conceive a baby together, but they do not know when that baby is going to be born. They do not know what sex the baby will be. They don't know what kind of personality they will have. They don't know how healthy they will be. You can prepare for a career and for college, but you don't know what it's going to be like when you get there and you now have a roommate that is very different to you and you have professors that don't treat you like a high school teacher did. And you can think about and prepare for, we need to be ready for that day when mom or dad needs to go into a care home or where they need this kind of care. And, and, but until that day when you walk across that door, uh, that threshold, you don't really know what it's going to feel like with the guilt that comes and the release that comes at the same time. And we can think about someone who is on their way to Christ 
to their eternal home and we can walk with them down that journey through hospice and end of life care. But we really don't know what life will be like without them until life is defined by being without them. We can prepare and we can say, okay, God, I want you to get me ready. I want you to empower me and I want you to be there so I'm strong and I'm capable and I bring you glory. But when that moment comes, it is largely outside of our control. The circumstances are going to be the circumstances. Here's what we control. Excuse me. (coughs) What we control is who we are and how we will respond. That's it. That's all that we have influence over. But God wants us to have godly influence there. So here's Joseph, and he has been waiting for this day. He didn't know when the day would happen. He didn't know how it would happen. He didn't know whether he would see the fruit of this happening. He knew that God had promised him that his brothers would bow down to him. He would be placed in a place of leadership, and they would come under his leadership. And in this moment, Joseph has a decision to make because here are the brothers and the circumstances in the story are such that the the brothers are scared to death. Let's remember that we're not just talking about an uncomfortable Thanksgiving dinner here. The brothers have come to Egypt because they are starving to death, literally. And they come to Egypt and they encounter this leader and they don't know this is our brother. And not only is it our brother, it's our brother that we mistreated and abused and did the worst things to. And then when he reveals himself, you can, you know, we read that Joseph reveals himself and he starts weeping and the brothers are like, oh no, they're speechless. Oh no. What does this mean? He told us this would happen and he can hurt us. We're already facing death and he can make it a miserable death. We're already facing death and he can make it a humiliating death. And Joseph in this moment has the opportunity and he chooses to do something completely different. And he reveals that I am not that guy anymore. And through this process of horrible stories, (laughs) he goes, I am crying tears of joy to see you. I can't believe I get to see you. I would suggest that for some of us, we're, we're, we're near that threshold moment in some way in our lives. I don't know how necessarily in your life. I may not even know how necessarily in mine. But I believe that what God has been bringing to me and then to us together and some of the things that we've been talking about is an indication that God is saying, I have a door that is swinging open and I want you to go through it and you have no idea what the other side looks like, but I've been preparing you and you have the opportunity to go through in the most gracious merciful, godly ways. And so we can go through like Joseph, that when the, when the opportunity shows itself, we get to do something that is restorative, 
healing and wonderful. I would suggest to you that the way that God works on our lives is for this purpose. God does things with us, around us, to us, so that we will be in the best footing with the best frame of heart and mind for those threshold moments when he says, okay, now, and we're ready to launch. Cross the threshold, or in this case, leap. See, I would suggest to you, no matter how good or bad, no matter how blessed or cursed you think your past is, Every experience, every moment of your life, every part of the story that God has written into you is a part of the work that God wanted and will use in order for you to make that transformation a godly transformation. I don't think, and let me be very careful with this, I don't think that God does evil I don't think he does bad things to make us squirm. I don't think he's the kind of guy that does it just because he takes pleasure out of watching people go, oh, you know, I, I just don't think that. I do think that God takes the evil that is perpetrated by us and around us, and he says, okay, I will use those circumstances. I'm going to make something better than that. Scripture tells us what humans intend for evil, God will use for good. I like that. I like that a lot because there's people around the world who do the worst kinds of things and God says, I can use that. I can work with that. You know, this last week, um, Pastor Stephanie reminded us this morning in our prayer team, this past week, a free Methodist pastor in Southeast Asia in a country they won't tell us where it is, Uh, was murdered. He was kidnapped and taken from his family and beaten and killed. And, And that happened to him because of his wanting to serve and love Jesus Christ and tell other people about him. And this morning, on a Sunday morning somewhere in Southeast Asia, there is a family and probably a congregation and a gathering of people that are coming together and their hearts are uh, deeply wounded. Something horribly evil happened to them and someone they love. But I believe that we serve a God who says, yeah, I didn't want that. That wasn't my plan. That wasn't how I wanted this to go. But I will use this. I will use this somehow. In fact, uh, church historians tell us that the blood of the martyrs is the fertilizer for revival. And so I'm praying this morning that, that the Lord will use that pastor's suffering and death and his family's suffering to do something incredibly dynamic and holy and powerful in that country. Because we know he does. He does those kinds of things. And so when somebody's paying 
attention to their cell phone and they drive into our car and hurt us, God can use that. When somebody who has, has horrible desires in their heart hurt our children, God can use that. When our dreams of aspiring to huge and wonderful things are not achieved and we grieve over the loss of what we had hoped for, God can use that. When someone rejects him and rejects us and rejects the love that we have for for them, God can use that. And so every piece of Joseph's story being kidnapped, being sold as a slave, being falsely accused of a crime, being imprisoned for years, being forgotten about. God can use that. And all of it comes together in this climactic moment where his brothers go, oh no, and they are speechless. It is him. And he's weeping and he's weeping so loudly the people outside can hear him. And I'm sure they're going, what is going on? But in that moment, Joseph is the man that God has prepared. Joseph is the person that God has shaped and formed and and all of his arrogance of of the past has been knocked away and refined into this holy moment and this holy person who can embrace his brothers and get this. We read this. He kissed each one of them. How strange is that? These are the guys that made his life horrible. Everything that followed was bad. And he could go back to, it's because that happened. And instead, Joseph embraces them, kisses them, welcomes them. How is my father? Is he still alive? So I just want to suggest to you, when you sit here and you do a little bit of an inventory of your life, and I do a little bit of an inventory of mine and all the things that have happened to us, all the things that we've done, all the stuff we had hoped for that never came about, all the things that came about that we didn't know was coming, all those things God can use and manipulate and order and transform us so that when the threshold moments come, we walk across the threshold. When the, when the edge of the cliff comes, we can leap. Because God has used those things to make us something incredibly more than we ever would have been on our own. I have to tell you that uh, this week, um, I, I, I would never choose this. I, I don't enjoy being sick. Really? I know. I, man flu thing, you know. I get sick and I want to just be left alone and, uh, and I just sort of shut down. And in this week of being sick and, and things happening around me and some, you know, two deaths in our church and, 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 and a little bit of frustration on my part, Lord, this timing couldn't be worse. And the Lord goes, nah, it's okay, I'll use this. It's all right. And then, you know, the, the moment. So let me just tell you a bit of this story. 
So you know, I knew that Kay was declining. And her daughter was texting me through the week and just kind of giving me a couple of updates, brief updates. Stephanie was able to interact with them and Karen Fitzmeyer. And uh, I, Friday afternoon, I was headed to the food pantry and pulled up downtown in front of Rivercrest and my phone rang and I jumped out and started walking into the building and, and I saw it was Mimi. And so I walked on in and I said, hey, I, and I, you know, you kind of go, oh, this, I bet this is it. And it was. And so I walked on to the back to their fellowship hall area and talked to her. And, and uh, you know, she said this to me. She goes, we've seen this coming. For two years we knew that mom wanted to be with dad. <laughs> and then you know, got all choked up and she said, I had no idea how hard this would be. We've been there, haven't we? Some of us. And I said to her, I said, yeah. And I said, I, you know, I, I just, I would love to have reframed this and had it go in different ways, but this is what the Lord did. And um, with, with our frailty and our humanity, and, and, and yet, you know, then following right on the heels of that, she and I are talking and I said, I am so glad that she's home. I don't understand at times what God brings to work in our lives. When I was a young man, this was a story I'd intended to tell. When I was a young man, my grandfather reached the end of his life. He was tremendously influential in my life. And um, I loved my grandpa. And for a time we lived right next door to them, and so after school I could wander over there and bug him in his little workshop and sit and talk with him as I reached my high school years. They lived right across the street from my high school, so after school I'd walk over there and sit with him while I waited for mom or dad to come pick me up. I went on to get married, went off to college, got married, um, and my grandfather declined like like so many who live up to that age. We all reach that if we are so blessed to live that long. And went into a nursing home and he did not enjoy it and he struggled with it. And then after being in the nursing home for about three years, his mind declined. And he didn't understand. He thankfully had some capacity to know who I was till very close to the end. And so when I'd go see him in the nursing home, and I would tell him, hey, Grandpa, it's Hank. And he would hug me and tell me how glad he was to see me. But the guy that he was when I was younger, this tall, strong, energetic, athletic guy, had shriveled up into a man who had to be confined to a wheelchair. And this man who had endured horrible things in his life but came out with this beautiful countenance and this wonderful personality was grumpy about not getting to choose where he sat, who was at his table, <laughs> who bathed him. Heard about that a lot. And I remember after visiting him one day, I was driving home, and we lived about four hours away, and so I was, had a long drive home. And uh, Kayleen and I were in the car together. It was before Linnea was born, and, and I just broke down, and I wept, and I said, what is the good of this? What is God trying to do with him? He loves Jesus. He wants to go home, and yet here he is, and his body is failing, and his 
his attitude isn't so good and his memory is going and why is he still alive? There's no reason for him to still be here. He could go home. And I struggled with that as he persisted for months. (laughs) And then even when he died, I sat there and I looked back and I reflected, why in the world did Grandpa have to go through that stuff? And then I realized, it it just came to me, as, as though the Lord revealed it. I didn't hear a voice, but it just, this awareness came to me that it wasn't for him. He didn't go through that for him. There wasn't anything else, I think, that needed to be refined or settled or sorted out or put in order. It was for me. It was so I could see what he would go through so I could see what dependence on God looks like when you reach those years. It was so that I would cry out to God when I wasn't happy about where Grandpa was living and the struggles he was facing. And I'll just tell you, I was in my 20s. And I have gone back and revisited that every time I've walked with a family as their pastor, as their loved one went into those twilight years of decline. God taught me a lot so that I could walk alongside people when they go through that. Every experience, every moment, every part of our story is part of what God will use to prepare us and get us ready to jump when the time comes. So, are you ready to leap? Next Sunday, we'll reach 90 days. And I didn't really plan it this way, but when I started working on this and I looked at the calendar, I thought, oh my goodness. Next Sunday in the church calendar is what we call Transfiguration Sunday. That, that moment when Jesus went up the hill with three of his disciples and was miraculously, gloriously transformed. So we'll talk about that next Sunday. But here's the thing. They were ready. He was ready. And so, here's my question for you. Is is everything in your life, is all of your history, all of your past, all your ability, all the good, all the bad, is it all his? Are there things we've held back and held on to and said, well, you know what, Lord, I don't want that to be a part of who I am. I don't want that to be part of my history, so let's just pretend it's not there. Or is it all his? See, when it's all his, then we're ready. We're ready for that jump. Um, the, this picture, I, I had to reframe it a little bit. It's actually a, a tall picture, and this guy is standing on the bridge of a bridge, and there's a river below him, and he's getting ready to jump in. And I, I got to tell you, I am not a huge fan of heights. You will never, you could hold a gun to my head, I will never bungee jump. It won't happen. I'm ready to go home. My heart's right with Jesus. I'm not bungee jumping. (laughs) But I'll tell you what, there's those moments in life where we just realize that, oh my goodness, what comes next is absolutely scary. And we don't feel prepared. We don't feel like we were made for this, but we are. And we have not only been created for this, but we have been recreated and we have been molded and we've been shaped and God has been moving us for the moment so that we can do what he calls us to do. 
For some of you younger people, you know this all too well because you know that these moments are coming. The moment where you make vows with someone to pledge your love to them for the rest of their life. That moment where you take on that new job that is going to be the, the vocation of your life. That moment when you bring a young child into the world and now you're a family with children. Young people know that. For those of us that are a bit older, we know these moments that come when all of a sudden we can't do things we used to do. And all of a sudden the dependencies in our lives change. And our ability to be part of other things is gone and we find new dimensions in our lives. But for all of us, I think we need to look and say, okay, Lord, all of these little pieces, little beautiful pieces and really ugly pieces, you'll use them all. And you'll create this mosaic out of our lives. And so, Lord, when you bring us to that point and you say there's something new, there's something that is next, and it's different, and it is completely unexpected and even unwelcome, we say, okay, I'm, I'm ready. I know how to do this. God has gotten me ready for this. We have our Joseph moment where I can now react or I can now move forward. I want to pray with you.